Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Elena, Casper, and Caroline to discuss the topic of best practice in product teams. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, a Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Caroline, would you like to kick us off? Yes, uh, thank you for having me. So my name is Caroline. I'm a product manager working for Agiris. I have been working in products since I graduated from university, where I studied philosophy and history of science. And I've been working uh, in product management for eight years, primarily in startups. Um, but before I joined Agaris, I actually worked for Touch Tourism, uh, where I built their new border control system. Uh, it's uh, it's very exciting for me to, to be here today. And I expect that I can learn a lot from uh, the perspectives of Kasper and Alina. Thank you. Great to have you here today, Caroline. Thank you so much. Elena, over to you next. Great. Thank you for having me. Um, I I think this is the second time I'm doing it, so um, it's very nice to be back. Thank you. It's great to meet you all. Um, I My name is Elena, and I have been working in tech for um, the past 10 years. I started as a designer um, and did transition into being a product manager pretty naturally. Today, I'm a co-founder at Mesh Firm, uh, and I work as a freelance product manager and product coach. Uh, what we do at Mesh Firm, uh, we are a community of uh, freelance product managers and we do help companies in delivering new digital services, but we also uh, help on training, coaching, uh, helping with product strategy, discovery, um, and delivery. And yeah, um, some of the companies I've worked with before, um, usually either as a product manager or product owner, um, they've been small or, or big companies as well. I do have quite a bit of experience uh, in fintech. And actually, Caroline, I have a story with Aguirre's from many, many years ago, but I actually interviewed there once a long time ago. Um, and um, yeah, and then on the personal side, I like kitesurfing, snowboarding and uh, being social. Love that. And it's really great to have you back, Elena. Um, we're great on the first podcast and I've no doubt you'd be the same on this one. Casper is our last guest. going to hand it over to you next. Hey, thank you. Uh, I'm Casper, uh, a uh, product manager and uh, and general technologist, I guess you could say. So interesting to see the backgrounds on this uh, on this podcast. Uh, you know, uh, I uh, I have an engineering background, and uh, you know, looking at, looking at Caroline and Elena, it's just so great to see how many different backgrounds uh, uh, you know can lead into uh, into product management. Um, for myself, uh, my product management journey started. Uh, after I graduated, where I had created my own product, and you know, through a, a series of acquisitions, I had to learn and navigate, you know, companies of very different sizes, very different cultures, um, and uh, and try to make my product, so to speak, uh, a success, both you know within those companies, but also uh, uh, for their customers and so on. Uh, and that was a great challenge. I, I quickly uh, 
realized, uh, you know, a much more dynamic challenge and, and, and greater challenge uh, sometimes than uh, than building the the thing. You know, uh, building obviously is also, uh, you know, a huge discipline in itself. Uh, but um, yeah, I've uh, I've since then uh, been with uh, companies like uh, Zendesk and uh, Quadient, uh, working primarily with enterprise business to business software products. Um, Right at the moment, I'm uh, on a small work break. Uh, I uh, I tried to join a, a, a startup uh, last year, and unfortunately, we we didn't make it. So uh, at the moment, I'm I'm waiting for the next adventure. I have a, a thing that's starting up in August, uh, so just enjoying the summer right now. And uh, you know, privately, I have uh, three kids and uh, and a dog, so plenty of plenty of. Uh, <laughs> of humans and more to look after at home. Plenty to keep you busy, Casper, um, I'm sure. But thanks for coming on. And that, that rounds off our panel today, which is fantastic. And I suppose now that we've established a context around each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question or a statement around best product, best practice or product teams. And as usual, work away around the room and pose those questions and the reasons behind them. And then you'll each have an opportunity uh, to give some fantastic insight. Elena, I believe we're starting with your question. Um, you want to know, how do you think AI is changing the job for product managers? What are the pros and cons in your opinion? Uh, and where do you think the future of product managing, management is going? And of course, I'll come to you to give a bit of context. Yeah, it's it's three questions and I think maybe it's too much for the time we have. Uh, but yeah, I think the topic is very interesting to me uh, right now, also because Honestly, I'm tired of seeing LinkedIn updates and posts about, hey, you know, best AI tools and this and that and everything is about AI and, and it's such a hype and it's such a trend. Um, and I'm not saying that's bad, but at the same time, I, I just like, I, I get a little bit, okay, we got it. Let's make the best out of it. Or like, uh, how how is it actually helping us today or, or not, right? And uh and also, interestingly, I mean, I have been using some, some stuff myself. Uh, and of course, I've been using ChatGPT. I've been using some other tools to make presentation. Um, I've, I've, been, I've done some research around some tools that I can use today um, in product management. Uh, and they can be quite helpful. But I already see some, some minuses. I mean, there are minuses and there will always be. Um, but I'm at this stage of assessing, like, for what I should use it, for what I should not use it, uh, how helpful it is, how much we can trust it as well. Um, and yeah, I'm really curious to hear if you have any experience. And it's very new, and I think a lot of people are not using it yet because I think it's so new. And it, it, and and for example, ChatGPT can still be pretty uh, high level um, on a lot of topics, and and maybe just not be specific or good good enough for maybe what we need, but yeah, I don't know. So what do you think? Um, have, do you have any experience so far? What are your thoughts? Casper, I believe we're coming to you first with this one. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I can try and uh, give my take on it. I guess, uh, you know, the overarching question is like, is AI going to take our jobs away? Uh, and and I don't know. If, I think for, for PMs, I think... Uh, uh, I think the PM still needs to know very well the processes and the goals on executing on a product strategy. Uh, but certainly, I can I could imagine AI as a tool uh, that can help and supercharge the individual PM. And you can even see now I mentioned our different backgrounds, right? So I'm I'm sure we each have yeah. strengths and weaknesses where we can 
have a, a an AI assistant that helps us with individual tasks, and that might be uh, build a mockup. You know, uh, you know, Elena, you have a design background, so I'm sure you don't need an AI to help yes. you do that, right? But but I'm I'm not very good at that sort of stuff, right? So I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to the time where I can sort of explain my product to an AI and just have it build a mockup uh, for me, for example, uh, or. Uh, one thing that I've been looking into recently is using AI chatbots inside of the product to gather feedback from the customer or guide and help them in the product, right? Uh, I think that's an, an obvious extension of, of your UI on how can you both get information and sort of help your research on the users that way, but also uh, help them with uh, you know a more conversational uh, user experience if they need it. Um, but I, I also do agree with you, Elena. It's it's overhyped at the moment, and and there are so many things that you still need to do. Uh, you know, just you know, build build a good product uh, for with a good user experience and all these kinds of things that we're uh, that we've been doing for uh, for the last uh, while in product management, and uh, and I think they they uh, will and should continue because they're basically it's it's not always convenient to have to ask someone to do the job, right? Like I still want to click the checkout button when I'm online shopping, for example. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah, think I that's, that's something very, um, so you started by if, if eventually AI is going to take over our jobs, right? And if that's, uh, we should be concerned. And and um, I, um, I think on the contrary, a lot of the, the stuff that we can automate, a lot of the things that, um, are more how to say like uh, don't want to say hard skills but yeah a lot of things uh, for example writing user stories right so that's something that's something that i have been using um chat gpt and um uh, another tool as well to um open open spec io i think was the name to write user stories and and especially when you have to do for something that it's quite generic or um you know, something we've done like a user profile settings, um, something that is quite straightforward, right? So, um, and even even not for that, I think even for other stuff you can do, right? But but something like writing user stories, uh, it's something that you can get help um, already today, and it probably is going to get much better. But I think the skills and the, the things that we will hopefully not be replaced. Um, are actually interpersonal skills and facilitation, you know, building trust, making, creating personal relationships, because as a product person, product owner, product manager, this is in the core of your competence, right? So one thing you need to understand your product, but you actually need to be able to get a lot of people together in a one room probably and understand what everyone wants and make the best out of it and also think about the product strategically. And it's a lot of people's skills, right? Um, and then the other two, which are, I think, very important, uh, product sense and uh, critical thinking, and and I don't think AI is going to um, be able to replace um, the creativity that we have as humans and the history that we have, right? And the user empathy that we can have. If that happens, though, of course, uh, hopefully that is still too far ahead. And critical thinking, because a lot of the content that I also see today, um, we need to be able to to look at it and be and 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 think is is this is this really good? Like, isn't this just scratching the surface on some topics and how can we make this better, right? And then try to actually uh, not just copy paste and not just like press next, next, next in order to get some content out of it. Mm -hmm. 
I want to add to what you're saying, both of you. I don't think it's taking away the job. Uh, I think potentially it can make the job easier uh, and it can make you potentially more successful, but only if you know how to leverage technology and only if you have a deep knowledge of the customer context as well. The two need to go hand in hand. So from my perspective, I think that we have two areas in which we can improve our jobs or, or improve ourselves as product managers. I think the first one is that, of course, as you said, that we can improve the product development efficiency. We can radically reduce time spent on quantitative analysis, custom analysis, which is, for me, a, a huge pain point <laughs> since I'm neither very technical nor very good at uh, pulling and analyzing huge amounts of data. So recently I signed up like as a beta customer for a tool called Data Scroll. Uh, I uploaded it a data sheet and in 10 seconds almost it cleaned the data. Uh, it made a very comprehensive analysis and it even made me like uh, show uh, like uh, how say um, it presented the way I wanted it. So and I think it's soon they said that you'll be able to ask me any questions about patterns, tendencies, trends and stuff like that in about user behavior. So this is very exciting for me, a huge time saver and something that will make me more confident in uh, taking the decisions uh, on what to build and what not to build going forward. Of course, you need to trust the algorithm. Of course, you need to trust that uh, <clears throat> that, that, that data cleans is, is, is doing correctly, but, uh, but, <clears throat> but it can potentially be a very powerful weapon for, for product management uh, who typically relies on data teams uh, or teams outside of uh, their own product team to pull and analyze data. So, yeah. And, oh, and, and another area I think we can definitely improve for it is, of course, that we can create better customer experiences. So right now they talk about uh, you can make a uh, build recommendation in, uh, uh, machines and generate tailored experiences. Uh, but here I just want to like uh, add to what you said before that it's very important to know that to generate the best experiences for your customers and reach uh, business goals, it's not sufficient to have a deep a technical knowledge of what's possible. You really need to have a deep knowledge of the consumer context as well, and you need to be very clear on what kind of customer outcome you want to see. And I have a kind of funny story I want to share here. So recently, uh, we released an AI assistant to answer questions within one of our products. And uh, it works by leveraging our knowledge base and website and is powered by ChatGPT. So and something, the goal of this release was to reduce the time uh, the support team spent on answering tickets. And in only four days, two of my amazing colleagues, which are also product managers, they spend uh, they only spent four days on setting it up. So on release on, on day five we had it released. Um, however, what we learned is that uh, the questions that the customers have are so specific to their own context that the bot or assistant had no way of answering it. So most customers wanted to have questions answered like, "Where is that difference in my bank account?" Uh, but the assistant's uh, assistant could only respond based on general knowledge uh, and language patterns, of course. So the customer ended up turning to the live chat uh, instead, meaning we didn't actually reduce any time on support. Uh, actually, we added support time uh, or increased our support time because now the support team needs to constantly update the support articles uh, because, of course, the AI system needs to have like 100% correct answers when, uh, when, uh, when being asked. However, we can't control which articles it actually chooses uh, to, to use when answering the question. So we need to make sure that they are all updated, uh, not only in terms of the law, but also in terms of like how does the user interface look right now. Um, so yeah, it was actually kind of funny, but it goes to show that 
uh, yeah, you need to be very clear on what you want to achieve and and what it is the customer wants to achieve as well, right? Because it's turned out that these, if we knew that the majority of cases that comes from customers are context specific or related to their case, then we might not have uh, have spent the time. Well, on the other hand, it only took us four days, so it wasn't like a huge uh, wasted effort. So yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to say that I think uh, that's a that's an amazing example, and you know something that that we have been uh, looking into and decided uh, not to go down a similar route. Where you know our we thought of you know wouldn't it be great if the user could just ask for the information that we want to you know present to them? A, a bit like the product you're describing, actually, but we. Mm quickly ran into, you know, uh, legal or privacy concerns then with, all right, if the if the chatbot needs to be able to answer back something as concrete about, you know, what's in my bank account or what's, you know, whatever, you know, whatever's in my data, then we actually have to offload all that information back to the chatbot, right? So we, you know, we end up becoming this, you know, data, data distribution central, which I guess it can be a, a very serious problem for or at least for business to business uh, software, probably also for consumer actually. So. Yeah. Do you guys think that the whole thing? Yeah, sorry. No, please go. Uh, I was just wondering because you also asked about how what the future would look like for product managers. Do you think that it will be expected that more and more PMs actually know or have a deep knowledge of the technology and how to instrument it to solve business needs? I think based on all the LinkedIn and media hype, yes. <laughs> based on not enough critical thinking, perhaps yes, right? Or um, yeah, I expect yes. I think be, um, depending on how this is developing, but uh, again, as you said, um, we should be able to use it to our advantage and also um, do some things that, you know, analyzing some data is what you said or doing some um, market research or competitive analysis, right? This is also some of the, the, the places where right now it's it's already um, good enough, right? Um, just the way how we consume information is just going to change. And I, I think that's the first thing that is coming. Um, and then Casper, what you said about prototyping, um, I haven't tried it yet myself, but one of my colleagues, um, he has been able and he has like a very basic knowledge of, of coding, um, and uh, he's been able to actually prototype, quickly prototype some very simple stuff, just, you know, something that usually would go to a team and you you get to ask someone to do it. It's not that it's going to take awfully long time for maybe that prototype to be done by, by a developer, uh, but it's still like you need to explain, you need to still like time, plan this, find find the, find a place, you know, where, when to do that and, and so on. And I think these two things are already growing and getting quite big and it will be expected to some extent to leverage on what tools you have out there, right? Um, yeah, and that's I think it will only like, grow. That's almost like uh, you know the lean startup tools, like you know create a create a landing page for my product idea. Exactly. Sort of, sort of, yes. Right. I, I could imagine that there will yeah. be a, a an explosion in uh, you know in that sort of uh, ability where it's not. I mean, I heard someone saying that with AI, mediocrity becomes free. Uh, so, you know, so you can build mediocre solutions very cheaply, at least. Uh, yes. And then yes. you can test them, and then when 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 it works, you uh, you decide to uh, to make it hopefully better than mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. 
Well, I think it was an excellent first question. So thank you again, Lena. Casper, I believe we're moving to your question next. And you're posing, how do you make sure that the customers are not bothered by the attempts by everyone to be intimate with them? Um, which teams are you having to coordinate customer outreach with? I suppose we'd love some context around this one as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I guess this came from, you know, in my previous role, um, an organization where uh, where they they didn't have a, a very great experience with product management and what it meant and uh, and you know I I was like okay so back to the roots of you know what what is it that we do and uh, Marty Kagan has this thing of you know when you start as a product manager in a new role you need to do customer immersion and you need to let everyone know you know just how intense this is you uh, you actually want to spend hours with several, uh, if not most customers, depending on the size of your company. But you you, uh, you definitely want to spend uh, a lot of time with customers, right? And at the same time, I'm seeing other uh, uh, disciplines or other, uh, uh, you know, topics in business and disciplines like uh, within customer success or customer experience more generally, where these kinds of topics of customer immersion and so on are also coming up. So I guess there's a convergence, which is great, around the idea that we need to really immerse ourselves with the customers to understand them. But since a lot of people want to do this now, I see this challenge in that we actually end up bothering customers. And I've seen this a couple of times where I've scheduled a call and then I learn in the call that, hey, they just, you know, a week ago had a similar in-depth uh, focus uh, group or or something else with with a different department in the company and that sort of stuff and that that ends up creating a bad customer experience so um yeah the challenge i'm trying to to figure out is what's what's sort of the what are some good models for how you coordinate or uh, divide and conquer or <laughs> you know all that you all get to do the customer outreach yeah it's a good question um, I I do want to say though that if you're working in a company where everyone is trying to get intimate with the customer, then maybe it reflects that they are indeed doing something right, right? By solving or, or by being obsessed with solving customer problems. So, but I do get that from a customer point of view, it can't be a bit tedious to have the same provider week after week is asking the same questions. Um, I think when you work in a SaaS business, it's the product team that's responsible for customer outcomes. Uh, we have a very uh, simple model or process uh, where every time a customer asks our support team or point in contact for a feature, uh, whenever he has a question on how to use the product, if he reports a problem or a bug, or if he completes an NPS, or if he wants to change the subscription plan, then uh, this customer success team member uh, reaches out to me. Then I schedule a call with that customer to learn more about the need. Uh, and often I have <clears throat> everyone who wants to participate joining that uh, interview. Um, but that, that way I'll, I'm the, the point of contact or the, the, the one that reaches out. Uh, and uh, everyone interested uh, in, 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 in joining uh, does so. And it's uh, always good to have one or, more, uh, one or two teammates joining. Um, especially because they have uh, different interpretations of the customer feedback, and they can open up to yeah, they have multiple ideas on 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 how to uh, how to explore new opportunities. I am curious how about uh, Elena's uh, answer to this question. Yeah, actually, um, I think Casper, your situation, I guess you could say it can be a classical, and well, I would say startup, but maybe 
maybe it's not big enough. I, you, you could also say in, in a startup, this situation can happen just because everyone is trying to solve everything, right? And there is not a clear division between who is going to take care of what. Um, but you could also, that can also happen in a big company just because the scope is so big and there's so many, you know, people that they actually might be trying to solve the same issue in, in silos, right? So I think you can see that issue in um, different sides of organizations. Um, my take on this I, uh, is that you it's great that everyone are trying to, to solve this, right? I think similar to uh, Caroline, what, what you said, I think it's, it's great that everyone want to uh, get close to the customer and understand. Um, but it has to be organized and it has to be divided into areas, right? So if it's something that support is taking care of, like it needs to have clear boundaries or boundaries of like, what is that support actually should be talking to? And if there is anything that is in relation to future and like innovation or like future roadmap or something like that, it, that this person has to be redirected um, and have one conversation about it, maybe not five because another four people uh, somehow have been talking um, to them. But then I guess besides that, the, the other thing is that, and I've been in that situation and I know it's very annoying, is that you reach out to a customer and you find out that oh, two days ago, someone from your company actually has been talking about that. And you're like, why is that? I did not know, right? And in a lot of situations, it's the lack of space or or forum or best practice in the company on, on how to communicate these things. Um, and I know now, now this sounds a little bit vague as well, but um, whoever I think is heading product, it has to also establish these lines and, and baseline or rules of like, how do we interact with the customer? So this person doesn't really get pissed with us for, because we're asking the same question um, all over again. And try to have regular sort of things on that and, and understanding of uh, what each department perhaps or uh, what, what people have been um, discussing. So it really, to me, it's it's these processes of um, how to align and, and share information. And maybe just to, just to give you an example is that uh, with one of my clients, we, um, when it comes to features, product features and uh, product updates and talking to um, talking to how should something be or behave or what do you think about um, this feature, it is driven by the product department, which means the product manager, the product manager will then engage and, and, and it will, he will be the driving force behind it. That if sales has a conversation, sales should have a different angle um, on that, right? And the same if customer support has a conversation, you should have a different angle, but then feedback to the product manager with relevant information or insights that they might have caught along uh, talking. Um, and yeah, it's a very good, uh, it's a very good and painful uh, topic. So uh, I hope in the next, uh, the next company, Casper, you, you, you have a better experience with that. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have experiences good and bad, so it's not, not that it was yeah. only this one company, but it's, um, uh, it's it is a ongoing challenge, I think, and I think in in large customer, cus sorry, in large co companies, I've seen it happen where uh, you might have like a strategy group, you know, someone who's who's uh, working yeah. on the on the corporate strategy or, or whatever, and then you have obviously customer yeah. success who's you know working day to day with customers more than more than most yeah. people. So you can see it in in all sorts of scenarios like that where. Um, 
I've been curious about a concept of a customer advisory board uh, as a uh, mm-hmm. as a way to have a more formal uh, organization around the customers that you really let in and have in depth conversations with. But I I I'm also I'm also cautious that that might lead to you know just pigeonholing the people that you're talking to because it's always going to be the same yeah. advisory board that you get your feedback from then. But maybe one last thing for me on that because I ju- just came to my mind. Um, do you do you need to or like how much information do you need and when you need that information? Right? Because I think some of the mistakes that maybe we are making is that we are like, oh, we need to talk all the time, you know, and like we need to talk about this and about that. Where in fact, maybe today it doesn't make sense to talk about something that you know, you might not even have the time to look into it. So I think also um, my initial thought about your question, actually, and the first thing I thought about it was like, but why does it happen that so many people are talking about the same same thing? Or like, why is it that so many people are talking and do you are you really going to solve all of this uh, in a timely manner? So then the, the, then the customer would not feel that, oh, okay, I'm being asked again and again and again. Um, so maybe we don't need to talk as much, right? We just need to know what we what we really can and what we want to talk about. That's an interesting angle for sure. So then that would require that you're that you're extremely uh, uh, open and um, I guess uh, that you make everyone know in the organization that at the moment you're discovering on these and these subjects. So you would like you know to be involved in any conversation regarding. Uh, those things yeah perhaps like that goes back to like creating that transparency and visibility for everyone to understand and and also then try to balance out and understand like who should act when right um maybe similar to this customer advisory board that you um you also mentioned but again people don't overlap probably and they're not doing the same thing or asking the same questions to customers Excellent, guys. Well, Casper, thank you for another great question there. And we're moving on to, to Caroline's next. Caroline wants to know, what do you do when management plans uh, what's next? And how do you make sure that they trust uh, you to do what's right for the customer and the business um, when you don't have a plan, uh, you have strategy? I'm going to come to you for some context there. Yeah, um, so... It's when they demand a plan on what to build next. Like, what are you building next? And the context is uh, what ha- what was happening to me uh, a couple of months ago. So I recently joined the Gears and uh, we have been struggling with churn for ca- quite some time. And the CEO, uh, after two months, came and said, what are you building? What's the plan? How do we get out of the woods? Uh, and uh, was very eager to know what to do. And I think uh, this is a very common way of management teams to act towards product teams or teams in general. What is going to happen next? They want a plan. They want to feel secured. But how do you? What? But what if you don't have a plan? Uh, what if you don't know uh, what you're going to build next? Because you work with a, a product strategy mindset or a more agile mindset, where you are about to solve problems. You know what the core problem is. Uh, uh, you know why they are churning, but you don't know how to solve it. So you can't tell the you can't tell the the CEO I don't uh, well we are building this next because you simply don't know yet. But how do you communicate that in a way that uh, reflects or builds trust? Um, how do you get them to rely or or to uh, yeah to trust you uh, that you know what you're doing even though you don't know what the plan is? 
Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think a lot of, makes a lot of sense, and I can relate to you in the situation of where maybe you've been asked by management, like, uh, so what are you doing about this? So what is your plan? Um, but um, you mentioned right, so you might be having a product strategy or you're following a product strategy, um, but you don't have a plan, right? And one thing I have learned, and I think it helps a lot, um, and not only with management but in general, like people like to know um, what is going to happen, right? People like to understand and see see things and and literally understand things and visualize, materialize somehow. Uh, and even if you don't have a roadmap, let's refer that to your plan, right? You don't have a roadmap and um, you don't know what you're going to do. You do have a path to which you will reach a roadmap, right? But you will have to actually take different initiatives or different, you you will have to do different kind of things in order to make a plan, uh, especially assuming you have a strategy, right? So you have a strategy um, and that strategy is not only product strategy, but since you're software as a service, it might just be the business strategy is the product strategy. Um, and, and basically looking into what can I do and what do I need in order to uh, make a plan. And, in, and when you do that, you're actually ending up um, needing a lot of assistance or help from the management, but not only you will need to go out again, maybe talk to your customers and gather data and do some analysis in order to understand like what is our roadmap, right? So, so perhaps in order to make them also feel comfortable is like, hey guys, we don't have a roadmap, but we have a plan on how to get a roadmap, right? And I think that's completely in the power in, in your power to do so, or that should be in your role and responsibility to say, I don't know what we're going to do yet, but that's because A, B, C, and D, and I don't know that information. And my plan in order to have a roadmap, what you have a plan is to get aligned on your business objectives and what do you want to achieve this year or in the next five years. Also, look into what are our biggest customer pains. Then also look into our development team and like what are our resources and what is our capacity and also then gather some other customer feedback um so having a discovery phase or like having such kind of initiatives and um, they're very clear to them what are what are you going to do it should be good enough or give them like a peace of mind that you know what's happening but it's also okay that you don't have a, a roadmap that it's like timed weekly monthly and quarter mm, I, com- I completely agree and i think I think the most important thing is to first align on what is the goal and then what is the problem? Like, why are we, what is stopping us from, from reaching that goal right now? And I think if you can agree on that, then you can also have yeah. like maybe, and maybe even bag it up by data. Uh, that's always a good weapon, right? So you say we are not, uh, we are experiencing trend because uh, the leads can't convert, convert to partners, which is causing partner frustration as an example that I'm pulling right now, the, the experience part, right? Uh, and I think if you can, and I think also if you, the more you involve them in that process of discovery in the beginning, I think the more you actually also get the trust <clears throat> that you need in order to continue on uh, your work. Yeah. What, what, yeah, whatever is to the strategy, the management team needs to really be on board with that, right? So your product yeah. strategy, especially in your case, is the core. So yeah. the strategy is not done by you only. The strategy is done by, by you know, it has to be done by by the management, a group of people. You need to have a tech person, the CTO, tech lead. You need to have your knowledge, the, the CEO, the commercial knowledge, the sales knowledge, 
all of this is a group exercise. Uh, and also that like they should not be putting that on you and being like, oh, this is this is not done, right? Like you need to make sure this is done. That's true. Um, but it's a group exercise. Um how do you foster conversations around problems and not features to build? I think there's a very I think and it's difficult it can be difficult to have these conversations with management if they are used to and if they are if if they are the startup founders, they are probably entrepreneurs, they are probably they probably build something themselves. So they have a lot of they have a lot of ideas, and whenever you discuss problems with them, they quickly turn that into good ideas on how to solve them with specific technical solutions. Have you had that experience? Oh yes, yeah, I I I think that happens all the time, and I I think I even also sometimes myself can fall into that trap. But but I will say uh, uh, because I think it's natural that you hear a problem and you want to come up with a quick solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but I think it's it's really important that you. As a product manager, especially in these conversations, that you take a, a very conservative mindset whenever it comes to, uh, to estimations and and commitments, right? Like I've tried a few times, certainly to to uh, you know ride the wave of enthusiasm, and then it comes back to bite me. Um, because you know, as PMs, you're not engineering managers, or you're not actually having that level of control typically to say on short term we're going to do this. Um, uh, and if you if you end up saying that we will do this in the, the next month or whatever, then you end up becoming like a low-level project manager, and it's a terrible spot to be in because those people on the project don't report to you and all that kind of stuff, right? It's uh, it's it's uh, it, it, that's definitely not the way to go. Um, uh, the way I normally communicate uh, plans to to management is uh, on a couple of timescales. You know, typically something like. A, a three-month plan where I feel very confident about you know what I put into that, and then like a one-year strategy and a three-year vision or something like that. Where it's these are like timescales, and it's very clear that one year and the three-year, those are just wishes and and dreams. Uh, you know, we want to go there, but it's not a commitment. the The thing you can expect me to do is what I'm putting in the in the smaller of the timescales. Um, and and then I'm finding if you can execute on that. Then they start believing in you, right? So it's yeah. that's why it's so important, you know, to so not overstate what you're gonna do, and then that buys you room to maneuver in the past. Uh, sorry, in the future as well. You can sort of uh, you earn their trust by actually being the conservative, the person who says no. So I think it's uh, it it can be an asset for you as a product manager to be the person who says no to to those ideas, which I guess is a little bit of a you know. Maybe not going to buy you a job if uh, the CEO is your hiring manager, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it is nice uh, nice to know. I think. Uh, I think yeah. And I think if they uh, <clears throat> and when they come with ideas, I had good experience with actually really taking those ideas into account and try to map out the assumptions behind those ideas together with that CEO or that management person. Uh, maybe we will discover during that session that. Oh, this might might not work at all, or maybe we'll find a quick way of testing it, right? So you don't need to actually build uh, anything. You can you have various ways of testing whether ideas are good or not, right? So yeah, yeah. So if you can bring data to the table, uh, or even make them aware of something they weren't, you know, I I uh, recently made uh, our management aware of uh, you know a huge user retention problem that we had, and nobody had done the math on that before, and I was just like, here it is, guys, you know. Don't you think we should focus on this? Uh, yeah. And that that you know obviously if you can 
if you can bring that sort of uh, of data to to their attention, they could be like, okay, you're on to something. Let's you know, <laughs> let's focus on this uh, uh, instead of uh, another wild goose goose chase. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I can only add. Um, you already mentioned it, but you are not a project manager, right? And as a product manager, you you do have the data. Or you should have access to the data and to actually um, show that to them. Uh, what Casper is saying. Uh, also, make sure you're asking the why. You know, why are we doing this? Why why should we should we be doing something, right? And what is the value that that something is bringing? Um, in case, of course, they're introducing to you new features or they have new ideas of like, you know, going out to new market because I think that's common, right? Like the, the CEO um, is often this sort of person who looks on how to expand this, right? And like to conquer something new and a lot of ideas are coming um, that they're much bigger sometimes as, as, as scale from, from the CEO. Um, but it's very often also a vision or like, oh, let's go, go out to this, let's say to Norway as a market. Um, and uh, you, your role would be of like, okay, but why, you know, what is going to be the value? How much customers can we get there? How would we do that? Right. Um, and then again, if you are doing that with the management team, it also shows that, um, you want to assess and you want to make sure that you and as a team, as a company, you're doing the right thing. You are not just doing something because someone said, but is this the right choice for our product? Um, and I think this is the way how you can build trust. And this is a way how, um, by not, by challenging, but also making sure that all ideas are actually assessed, um, equally and given, um, given a similar framework to assess right? So that's where we would usually your product strategy to say, to look into, into roadmap and to look into, um, new features of checking is this feature or is this market something that actually fits our pro- one year or some one year strategy and three year vision or it's not and if it's not um should we pivot and actually do something about it because it's a great opportunity or should we just discard it completely i i think also you know one one thing i found is and i always keep a work in progress roadmap even as you say elena if you don't have a roadmap i would normally always have a work in progress or just like a sketch you know yeah a, a mural board exactly. or something that i maintain myself but i would usually bring it up uh you know in that sort of conversation if they have a new new big thing they want to introduce and i'll just say no i agree this sounds pretty exciting but you know these are the things that we would then sacrifice in order to do it because it's you know that's the other thing i think as a product manager you're painfully aware of all the things you need to do maybe as a ceo or or something else you're not fully aware of what else is in the pipeline right and you're just feeling like oh if i just had this shiny new object everything would be great but but, uh, but you sometimes need to just show them the, the you know, the full consequence of it. And then, you know, if you all agree, yes, the shiny new object is actually better than solving all these other things you have already. Well, mm-hmm. then, then everybody's happy, I guess. But then it also comes back to what kind of roadmap is acceptable in a, in a company, right? So, for example, I love the, the outcome-based approach you have on roadmaps where, okay, you have outcomes you want to achieve you have a list of initiatives that might or might not uh, reach those outcomes or move the needle towards reaching those outcomes um however and then you have <clears throat> and then you have solutions that could or could not be validated in terms of reaching yeah again those outcomes and i i 
I think if in in a good culture in a, in a company where it's a good culture that foster like the Marty Caden spirit of empowered product teams, you will have this freedom uh, that that will, you will be given this freedom to yes, we agree uh, from a product strategy point of view that these are the outcomes that we set. We don't know uh, which of the, the initiatives that will reach those, but we'll give you the opportunity to explore, right? And I think if if you work in that way, then it's the, the prioritization when a new uh, feature uh, requests come from whenever, uh, from whoever, it's it's kind of easy, right? Because does this contribute to solving the outcome that we agreed was the most important thing? And if you can agree that it did not, then it's it's not something that we that we're working on, right? And if if you think that it could indeed contribute to reaching the outcome that we're interested in, then of course why not work on this? It's not a yes or no. It can be either or. or Yes and yes, right? That's that's my take on it, at least. Yeah, I think so. I think definitely. Thanks, guys. Uh, I mean, Caroline, great question uh, once more. I think we've got a little bit of time left and we do have an additional question. Perhaps we could quickly run through um, another one from Elena. Um, it's what is your experience with creating your product strategy uh, and making sure all the teams are aligned on it? I know we touched a bit on product strategy just in the, the last couple of answers there, um, but yeah be good to, to hear everyone's thoughts and Elena but I suppose we'll start with you yeah I think it's uh, it's a good continuation from what we just discussed right um, I product strategy I think is one of those topics in product management that if we have other things that they're done differently in companies I think the the strategy part is where you know it's a wild space uh, and I think companies are um, using different frame frameworks and of course trying to um, find the best way for, for themselves and I and I think that's probably the right way, a right approach, because there shouldn't be one recipe that fits all. Um but at the end of the day, I think no matter how we build the product strategy, what I think it's super hard is actually making sure that people understand that strategy and then they're aligned and are let's say not hundred percent on the same page, but ninety percent on the same page. Uh so then you don't get disappointed um, either if you're in the team, uh, if you're in the product team and you just don't get disappointed yourself or you're in the management team and you have thought about something else and then something completely else, something completely different um, has happened. So, yeah, what is your experience? Um, maybe do you have a um, success story of, of, of having teams that they're aligned or maybe you have a failure story? I'm looking forward to hearing yeah, I think it's a really good question, and it's funny because um, from some of the larger companies I've been in, where there were lots of product managers, I found that some product managers are not necessarily, uh, you know, the role that is very important in the job, especially the moment when you need to advocate uh, a strategy. Right? Um, I think the you know the obvious answer to uh, convince everybody of why you should be going a certain strategy is to make sure it's uh, grounded in some outcomes and you need to advocate for the outcomes. But I think also, you know, what I found to be uh, a good way to sort of make sure that nobody's left behind thinking about, oh, but what else? What about my pet project? Or what about uh, the thing that I thought we should be doing? Because I, I honestly think that's what, what happens most of the time is that people will be like, okay, yeah, but I'm still going to continue doing X because, you know, I think that's right. But, so I think the anti-roadmap discussion is the most important part of it, actually. 
uh, you know, because uh, I had a good experience uh, in explaining what I thought was the outcome. And, you know, I could state it, you know, more or less on one slide. These are the three things we must do. Um, but then spent the rest of my presentation about these are the things we're not going to do. <laughs> and, you know, that upsets a lot of people. Uh, so you need to, you know, you need to apply a lot of uh, humanity and uh, and charm there, I guess. But uh, but uh, uh, but also, you know, just being uh, uh, so, somehow uh, radical about, you know, these are the things I don't want us to do for the and then just, you know, say for the next year or whatever, you know, don't say ever. But uh, because that's just, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, negative. But uh, but try and take those uh, those differences of mm. opinion and make them front and center of your presentation. Because, you know, then you can walk out of the room. Even if people disagree, you'll know about it, right? And you can continue working on those disagreements. Um, I think that's the main thing. Because I, I've tried before advocating for a strategy and then learning, you know, hey, they all, you know, clap at the end and they were all, you know, <laughs> seemingly happy, but they continued doing, uh, uh, you know, going down the roads that you were actually trying to move them away from. We recently, or we are experiencing with implementing, or we have implemented OKRs for the first time ever uh, in Agera's history, uh, but it actually does make a lot of sense when you think about it. So I think a good product strategy, as you said, Casper, it is a translation or a breakdown of an outcome that is important to the business or the CEO. Uh, so, uh, and, and with OKRs, you can have like, so you have the objective, what is it that the business wants to achieve and how can we translate that this goal into product, a, a product strategy, a customer success strategy, a different divisions can have, will have a subset of goals that directly reflects the overall goal that we are trying to achieve. And, and I think this kind of transparency, if you can have that, will align people more um, then, and I, 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 again, if it's the product strategy, if you think a product strategy is just a list of features that you're building, then of course you're doomed to fail or you're set up to fail, right? Um, but I, I, I don't know, Elena, you asked for success stories. We haven't, like we are in the middle of reviewing our first OKR. Uh, say, uh, like we ended the, the first uh, uh, quarter now where we implemented it. So it's fun, to, it's going to be fun to see how the teams, uh, how the teams did. And uh, con in, and if we are going to yeah. continue with it, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in my experience, it's just that um, it's it's not like it's not enough to um, communicating the product strategy. Like I think that has to, uh, as a product manager, um, you have to do that on a daily basis, right? And like communicate that all the time and make sure. Um, to repeat and, and and go over it again and and justify or like base a lot of your decisions and and show that to your team, show that to the organization that this is the direction we're going, this is what we're aiming for, and that's why we're doing the things that we're doing, right? And I, and I think that link sometimes um, gets lost or people get carried away in just the, the the day to day stuff, right? Or like on the many many other things that are happening because. We all know is that you do have all cares and you do have something greater that you want to achieve. But besides that greater, the amount of probably business as usual that you have to deal with or um, maintenance and support and like other things that they pop out, you know, from somewhere and you still have to do them. 
even though they're not necessarily on your roadmap, but you have to do them because they are making sure your current customer base is actually happy and they're not getting less of a product, right? So mm-hmm. I don't have a, um, again, I, I think that's also very personal to companies, but from my point, like from my side, what, what has been helping me a lot and what has proven for me to work, and sometimes I have failed, other times I think it has gone quite well, is actually putting, making the, the strategy very visible and not bringing it up um, as, as often as possible, obviously whenever it's the context for it, right? Um, but making sure that my team, um, the development team, but also management team is reminded constantly about it. And if you, at some point, you are not really uh, still, you don't believe in it, right? Or something is, you know, wrong about it, then then we have the opportunity to, oh, okay, stop, let's let's see then. Maybe maybe we should we should rethink something for next year or we should rethink even now, right? Uh, so that's the only thing maybe that has helped me, but it's, it's quite heavy, right? It means that you need to communicate it a lot, I think. Um, so some people might get annoyed with you. Like, oh, no, I'm, I'm again hearing about, um, you know, what do we want to achieve this year? We got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. But thank you, guys. I think it's all a good answer. Yeah, Yeah, I think that that on the last point, I think, you know, that it becomes a recurring thing is actually a nice thing about the OKRs that you mentioned, Caroline. Mm -hmm. You know, when I've seen OKRs work well, it's been a thing where you every week look at the OKR numbers. And sure, then I'll also look at, let's say, maybe some customer satisfaction metrics from customer success Mm -hmm. or some uh, pipeline metrics from sales, whatever. But then, you know, in a management team, you look at it together and it's, an, you know, then, you know, you're not the only one who's constantly preaching the same thing because all the other departments are doing that as well. They all have their more or less uh, persistent goals and uh, and that's the way it should be, right? That's the way you yeah. also become aware that, hey, that's what they're trying to achieve over there. And um, uh, I like that about the OKRs. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, I think we'll leave it there today. It's a great point to finish on, Casper. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I really want to take this opportunity to thank Elena, Casper, Caroline for not only their fantastic questions, but providing their incredible insight into the topic, into product management uh, and and product uh, as a topic. And of course, thank you for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of the upcoming podcasts, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. And I'm sure these guys will answer any questions if you have anything following on from the podcast that you heard today. But for now, see you next time.